love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's easy, especially when we think of our neighbors as our friends and family. But what do we do with those people that we really don't know anything about? The Human Family Podcast hosts conversations with guests from local religious and cultural communities to explore a more complex narrative of who our neighbors are in the greater Santa Barbara area. Welcome to the Human Family Podcast. My name is Kenny and I'm your host. This week, I'm excited to bring you a conversation between our co-producer, Ala, one of our marketing consultants, Allison, and myself. Among other things, we'll hear about Ala's practice of dhikr, an Islamic meditative practice, and Allison's relationship with mitzvah, a Jewish practice of blessing. You're currently listening to the edited version of our conversation, and if you want to hear more about our guests reckoning with uncertain immigrant ancestry and how that affects their identity, about tensions regarding assimilation within their religious communities, and more, check out our extended version in the same place you found this one. Although I've only known Allison and Ella for a few months, our work together has really made for easy conversation, and the two of them really jump right into the depths from the get-go. They cover a lot of ground in this conversation, so let's get curious and hop in with them. I'm really excited to be here today with our co-producer, Ala Khan who grew up in the Islamic Society of Santa Barbara, which is now located off the Stork Road exit. And with our marketing consultant, Allison Lewis-Tobes, who grew up in Congregation B'nai B'rith, the Jewish synagogue that overlooks Tucker's Grove off the 154. First, I want to acknowledge the history of the land here in Santa Barbara, which has been stewarded by the Shumash people for thousands of years before it was forcefully taken by European settlers in 1782. We humbly seek to be in conversation with the Shumash today as they continue to lead by an example of deep spirituality and community. Allah and Ali, I would love for you to share your preferred pronouns, how long you've called Santa Barbara home or how long you did call Santa Barbara home and what excites you about being part of the Human Family Podcast. Thank you for the introduction, Kenny. My preferred pronouns are she and her. I have considered Santa Barbara home my whole life. I was born and raised there. I haven't been based in Santa Barbara for the last decade, but it's definitely still home. It's where I go see my parents. It's where all my childhood memories are. So it will always be home. I'm currently based in Los Angeles. It's not too far away now. I am excited to be part of the Human Family Podcast because Santa Barbara is not only where I call home, but is also the place where I started my community activism work, my interfaith work, and I'm still very much involved in those kind of projects. And to be able to turn back to my hometown and do something home-based with leaders that I have a lot of respect for in the community is really exciting. And Kenny mentioned that we're co-producing and marketing consultants for the project, but we're also co-hosts. So we're doing some of the interviews as well. So getting to know some of the people in the community is really fun. I agree. I'll start from the beginning, but I think I circle back to a lot of what you just said. I'm Allie. I use she, her pronouns. I lived in Santa Barbara from the age of 12 to the age 18, although I spent every summer there as a kid. My family is from there, and it is still home. I currently live in New York by way of Chicago, but I'm just hoping for the day that I can set foot back in Santa Barbara. I miss it a lot right now. 
And I think I am excited about the Human Family Podcast for honestly kind of selfish reasons. I want to connect more to my own spirituality by having conversations that I think I gloss over a lot in day-to-day life. And to do that with people from the community that I grew up in, that I became an adult in, is extra special because I think my experience of Santa Barbara was very homogenous. Santa Barbara was a very homogenous place for me as a young adult. And I think beyond my own small Jewish community, I didn't meet other people who were from small minority religious groups. And I would kind of like to start doing that now. That's actually a really good point because I love Santa Barbara and it's definitely home. But I think what drew me away from it as a young adult was that I felt like I didn't have community that had diversity in the way that I wanted or in the way that I am in my own being. And so to have a project that's highlighting and celebrating that diversity in a city that is very homogenous is um, important. That is so true. I've been thinking in preparation for this conversation today a lot about what it was like to be Jewish in Santa Barbara. And I think I distanced myself a lot from my religion outside of the time that I spent at the synagogue, which was like three days a week because I loved it there. But at school with my friends, that was not part of who I was because I think I sought to make myself similar to everybody else. And it is really exciting to get to look back with new eyes. That's a really interesting perspective since we both come from faith traditions that are minorities because I had the polar opposite experience. Grew up in Santa Barbara. I'm going to give away my age, which is fine. But I was in sixth grade on September 11th. And that very much colored the way in which I was interacting with the Santa Barbara community. My parents are leaders in the community. They actually founded the Islamic Society of Santa Barbara. And there was a lot of internal and external pressure to represent our religion publicly. And as a young person, oftentimes that meant I was called upon too. So I think I started speaking at churches and synagogues and stuff around the age of 12 or something, including B'nai B'rath. And on some level, that was a really wonderful community building experience. But on another level, there was a lot of pressure to represent billions of people. And it didn't necessarily allow for the space for me to form my own relationship with my religion on an individual basis. So it took me some time mostly more as an adult, to reconnect to my spirituality and my faith on a personal level and then see how that translated into a public-facing sharing because the idea of sharing publicly was thrust upon me from a very young age. That makes so much sense. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, that experience as being able to distance myself from my religion is inherently a privileged thing because I'm white and nobody ever questioned that And I'm not even particularly quote-unquote Jewish looking. So it was very easy for me to step aside and just say, oh yeah, I go to synagogue on Saturdays and I work there on Sundays. And people would be like, really? And that was so easy. So I can't put myself in your shoes. What was that like at school? Oh man, that's a big question. I appreciate your reflection on what it is to publicly be identified as different because being a person of color, being a brown woman in itself is something to be said. And then also I started wearing hijab or the headscarf when I was 14, when I was a freshman in high school. So it very much made me stand out. I think there was one other 
Muslim girl at my school who wore it too, but she was a little bit younger than me. So that came later. But there was definitely an othering for sure. I was very popular in high school and had a lot of friends, but there was definitely distancing. I didn't really feel like I had my space, my place. And I do distinctly remember several racial incidences. And I'll just give an example. Reading in the Santa Barbara and Goleta library system were a big part of my childhood and a place that I really truly loved. And I've always retreated to I'm such a nerd. After school, my favorite activity was to go to the library and read. But I distinctly remember walking into the Goleta Library with my mom, who wears a headscarf, and my younger siblings, and someone calling her a terrorist and to go back to her country. And that was a place that I had always associated with safety and fun. And then all of a sudden, it turned into this hostile space. And that's not to say that those kind of incidences don't happen everywhere. But to be in a place where we're such a minority just emphasized that. And it definitely contributed to my desire to leave Santa Barbara. And there are many memories I have like that connect our communities, just historically and culturally and even in practice, even religious practice. But there is so much deep-seated fear and misunderstanding. And that definitely I see it played out in religious groups, but also in ethnic and racial groups. When I think about that Primarily what comes to mind is the divisions within the Muslim community on racial lines. After September 11th, the Muslim community was, oh my gosh, people don't like us and they're persecuting us and there's hate crimes. And the black Muslim community was like, yeah, and we've been resisting that for generations and we've been doing this and we can learn from each other and work together. And they're literally part of the Muslim community. But sometimes there just isn't this acknowledgement and so much of it is just rooted in racism that is so deeply seated within every group. Yeah, I feel like I could just go on a tirade about this one because allyship is a very important topic for me. In the wake of January 6th, I feel like it's just, if you can't hear it and you can't see it as a Jewish person, then you are actively unwilling to accept the fact that white supremacy is not going to lift you up, that at the end of the day, they are not there for you. As much as on a very surface level, you might benefit from it. At the end of the day, being a Jewish person and upholding white supremacist values is inherently hurtful to yourself. They don't care about you. And if you can't align and ally yourselves with other groups of people who are experiencing intense violence against them because of either the color of their skin or because of how they identify, then you are fundamentally misunderstanding the persecution that your people have gone through for centuries. And I'm getting very heated about it, but yeah. You're very calm when you're heated. Thank you. (laughs) I talk very slowly. Everything you're saying just resonates so deeply. And you're bringing up January 6th, which if nothing else, that just illustrated everything. There was so much anti-Semitism that was spouted that day. Some real violent anti-Semitism. It makes me sad to know that there are some people who are directly being negatively impacted and hurt by white supremacy, but still have this desire to be aligned with whiteness and power. Oh, yeah. And feel like there is like some sort of security there or some sort of path to being accepted by these very racist white supremacist groups. But the reality is there isn't. There's power in allying yourself with other communities that have historically been marginalized and hurt. And for me, as a Muslim, I feel like it's inherently contradictory 
to stand with anything that is remotely looking like bigotry or hatred. Justice is at the root of my faith, and it is the core value to be compassionate and empathetic towards all of God's creation. And if violence against Black bodies and brown bodies is right in front of you, you're obligated as a person of faith to stand against that. And we believe that God is with the oppressed. So if you're going to say that you believe in those values, your actions have to reflect that. And it definitely goes beyond religious affiliation. Anybody who is a champion of righteousness is a friend or a champion of God. That's how I see it. And it's definitely been the way that I approach religion and spirituality too, is through this lens of justice and compassion for all of creation. I think it would occur to a lot of listeners, I think that our, that this conversation would come across as hyper-political or something like that. And it was pretty late in my own Christian journey that I started to feel like not only did my faith tradition have something to do with politics, but that it actually at its heart, it was political. As I look at the person of Jesus, I don't think that someone who is going to be calling out religious leaders of the day gets crucified just by coincidence. I think that when I look at the Christian tradition, I see an embedded history of political activism, you might call it. And it wasn't just in the sense of political revolution, but it was also, I, I, I see Jesus's time on earth as time put towards both challenging political systems and challenging the spiritual framework that people lived from. That he was both challenging people to transform themselves and to transform the society that they were living in. And I'm curious to hear from both of your journeys, when did your spirituality and your connection to your religious tradition become something that was political? Because I think it's probably safe to say that it's pretty inseparable. <laughs> For, for probably all three of us, that our values that we've gotten from our religious traditions inform why it feels so important to show up in these spaces. So I'm curious to hear a bit more about that and maybe how a custom in your tradition helps move you to show up for causes that are important to you. I found it really interesting when you articulated the point in time in your life when you realized that religion is political. Because for me, at least, I think so much of being a Jewish person is political. Like the root of Judaism is argument, not yelling and screaming at each other, but discussion and disagreement. And that entire process in and of itself is political. But at least for me, one of the most unique things about being a Jewish person that I feel like gets articulated all the time is that you can be culturally Jewish without being religiously Jewish. And for me, at least the two things are pretty fluid. I am at a point in my life where I don't feel nearly as spiritual as I have been in other parts of my life. And I'm pretty comfortable in saying that'll probably change as I get older and as I change. But there are some religious traditions that are part of my faith that are also a part of my culture, like the concept of a mitzvah, 
which is a blessing, but it's also a good deed. And growing up, I had a mitzvah jar. We would do good things and we'd put something, I can't even remember what it was, either a coin or a slip of paper in the jar. And I definitely got it like from Sunday school, but it was a very present thing in my life. And I think having a religion that's built on the backs of the concept, and it's one of the first things that you learn as a kid, is the concept of doing something for other people coming back on you in the form of a blessing, that it makes you feel good to reach out beyond yourself is maybe my very early radicalization. And also, I think it's important to note that I am a reformed Jew. So my experiences do not necessarily reflect the experiences of all Jews. I'm amongst the most casually Jewish people, I would say. And that's where I feel comfortable. And that's what I like. It's a good question, Kenny, because I think Ali and I just hit the ground running with our shared perspectives with interesting personal nuances to them. Before I share how spirituality and politics tie together for me, I will say that to be able to separate yourself from politics or religion from politics is an extremely privileged position. Yeah. Because, Ali, I don't know if this resonates with you, but as a Muslim person, my existence is political. I have no choice. It's not something I can change. When I walk out the door, just by nature of my brown skin, someone will have opinion of whether or not I should be allowed to live in this country. I can't avoid that even if I say I don't want to be involved in politics. I don't want to be involved in that conversation. It's depressing. It's a lot. It's whatever. Walking into a school or a job interview or really anywhere, someone there will have an opinion of whether or not I have the right to be there solely based on the way I look. And that is something that all people of color, especially Black people in this country, experience. And it's hard to distance oneself from politics when you have no choice. So I just wanted to say that when I think think about the relationship between spirituality and religion and activism or politics, immediately what comes to mind is this verse from the Quran that says, you are the best nation produced for mankind. You enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong and believe in God. So action is inherently tied into belief in God and in joining what is right is a fundamental principle of Islam. So to see that the rights of people are being trampled upon requires one to take action. And one of the Muslim spiritual practices that really grounds me is this practice of dhikr, which translates roughly to remembrance. And so it's basically a time that you set aside to reflect on certain phrases, usually tied to some of the characteristics of God. So in Islam, we know God by 99 names, and they are all characteristics that God is the ultimate version of those, but we in different ways can reflect those values. So like Al-Wadud, the most loving, Al-Rahim, the most merciful, Al-Wali, the friend. So God is the ultimate version of those characteristics, but we can reflect some of those characteristics in ourselves. So the kid is the practice of repeating certain phrases, reflecting the different characteristics of God and reflecting on not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with those characteristics and how you want to manifest them in the world. So that's something that I do on a regular basis. It can be done as an individual practice on your own. It can be done in group practice. A teacher of mine recently said something that I felt was really powerful, and it made me think about my personal dhikr practice, the remembrance practice, saying, if you give people your time and attention, they'll give you their secrets. If you give God your time and attention, he will also give you his secrets. And one of 
his biggest secrets is your own purpose in life. In Islam, we believe that our ultimate purpose as Muslims is to know God, but there are different pathways by which you can do that. And our own calling is part of that. And so if you feel lost or uncertain about your place in the world, if you give God time and attention, then he will reveal that secret to you. And so that's something that I heard recently that felt very real for me, is spending the time and attention to formulate my own personal relationship with God. I love that. I think that experience of having religion as an option is a privilege, but B, the reason why I love it and why I love being Jewish. And I remember at a very young age asking my mom what God was, because it's a very difficult concept to grasp. And she told me it was how she felt when she was out alone in nature and it was quiet. And I think has been the thing that I find uniquely wonderful about Santa Barbara is that with all that outdoor space and all that time to be alone with your thoughts, if you so choose to take it, it brought me closer to my spirituality, even though I felt very alienated from it in my school settings or really pretty much anywhere else. And that is one of the things that I miss most now that I live in a very loud, very busy, very not green city, even though I'm surrounded by more Jewish people than I've ever been in my entire life, statistically speaking. I think I felt closer to God when I was home. My relationship with religiosity is that it's very much communal and personal. And that balance is really interesting, especially in this time of COVID when everyone's at home. So there's maybe a little bit more time for retreat and a little more time for reflection, at least for me. That's how it's been. I spend a lot of the last year taking more classes and integrating my thicket or remembrance practice a lot more. But at the same time, this communal nature and this interaction with other people is also fundamental to my practice. So I'm thinking a little bit on that as we talk. The part I loved that you shared, Ali, was about your parents allowing you to choose Judaism and checking in with you. My parents are immigrants and I'm first generation American. And my parents were conscious about their decision to raise me in this country so that I would have religious freedom to choose my religion and how I practice it. And I am eternally grateful to them for that because there is a lot of problems <laughs> is to put it lightly in this country around religiosity and racial justice and stuff. But there is a freedom here to choose how you practice. And that has been very important to my family and intentional in their decision to raise me here. So I've developed my own relationship with Islam because of that. And there's actually, I would say, an Islamic renaissance happening in the U.S. Even internationally in Muslim-majority countries, people look to the U.S. and scholarship in the U.S. for guidance and as primary teachers because there's a freedom here and there's like an openness of about talking about the relationship between justice and social realities and religion. So the religious renaissance that's happening in this country for Muslims is actually pretty new and really exciting. That's really beautiful. One of the most powerful things about being religious right now in this country is like you said, choice. My choices are much easier than necessarily every other Jew's choice to be Jewish. My parents always gave me the freedom to make that decision with no caveats, but I know other people for whom that would mean cutting off their family. But part of Jewish tradition when you convert is they ask you three times if you want to be Jewish, if this is what you want to do. And getting to say yes each time is so beautiful. It's autonomy. And I think a lot of religion gets misrepresented as rigid when what you just said a lot, it's freedom. 
there's no compulsion in religion, or there shouldn't be. And I love that Jewish practice that you shared. I'm familiar with it, and I always really liked it. It's beautiful. That seems somewhat similar in many Protestant traditions regarding the idea of baptism for myself. And there are different, depending on what denomination of Christianity you're a part of, there are different theologies around baptism. But for me, I got to choose to be baptized when I was, I want to say something around seven or eight. And yet it's something that as my understanding of Christianity has changed and my understanding of the world has changed, there's a regular re-upping of saying, oh my gosh, I could look at the attempted insurrection at the Capitol and say, There are people who are proclaiming the name of Jesus at this event, and I so instinctively want to distance myself from that to say, this is not what Christianity is about. And yet, I can't deny that in the history of how Christianity has manifested, that is a small showing of the kind of horrible things that have been done in the name of Christianity. So this desire to be able to say, yeah, there are a lot of things in my tradition that I am certainly not proud of. One of the things that, and so many people my age who grew up in the church with me, they don't want anything to do with Christianity. And that's their choice. And I think that's totally fine. For me, the choice comes down to wanting to be part of a tradition that has been in conversation with the best and the worst of our human experience on this earth for thousands of years. And to be able to learn from those traditions seems incredibly important to me as much as I would love to say, I'm going to scrap all that and try to start new, which again, for some people have been hurt and traumatized by their own religious background that they need to break away. And I totally support that. And I feel very grateful that I still feel welcome to participate in the Christian tradition. One thing that I certainly have come back to or come to learn over the last couple years in my own Christian faith is in the importance of taking my faith out of the realm of abstract and out of this too globalized kind of view of where there are lots of thoughts and there's lots of theology that's in the abstract realm. And that's, we have so many different denominations in Christianity and it's usually about ideas. It's usually about words, not so much around what does it mean to enact the spirit of Jesus in our world. So taking my own faith from an abstracted place to a very physical, embodied, and place-based kind of understanding of the world. And especially since my kind of gateway justice issue, I would say, is environmentalism. The best way that I've found to engage in environmental care from a Christian perspective is to say that the places that we live matter. That it's not just, oh, let's try to take care of creation in general, because the thing is, one, you can't take care of creation in general. <laughs> you can take care of your little garden plot. You can take care of some places in your community, some uh, grasslands that's gonna that's planning to be developed. You can say, no, we want to actually preserve this place and say that places actually matter. And that's something that for a religious tradition like Christianity that has been spread so far and that is relatively displaced as a tradition, it doesn't really have a place. Obviously, we can look back to the Holy Land where ancient Israelites and where Jesus walked and things like that. 
that. But really, there's a sense of you can absolutely be a Christian anywhere. And I think that's absolutely true. But I think that being able to reclaim a deep care for a place is something that's actually pretty important to any spirituality. And Santa Barbara has become my home over the last seven years. And that's meant leaning into caring for this place. And that means both people as well as caring about the geography and looking at the mountains and saying, these mountains are unique. These are the Santa Barbara mountains. And I care about this place. I care about our beaches. And I would love to hear about how connection to place has informed each of you in your journey and maybe something particular about Santa Barbara that you appreciate as as a place that you have called or still call home. I've already spoken a little bit to the importance of being outside, which I think I feel very acutely right now because I live in a studio apartment in Chelsea and there's just not a lot of outside. But the community I made for myself really, not even when I was a student and living actively all year in Santa Barbara, but as a young adult and coming back, there is just so much innate creativity in Santa Barbara and so much desire to make things that aren't just for progress for progress's sake, but that are actively beautiful and actively enjoyable. It's the way that we treat food. It's the way that we treat art. And it's the way that we celebrate all of it. I miss that because I live in a world in which we make things to get to the next place. And whenever I'm home, there is nothing in the world like walking around, even just downtown Santa Barbara, and there's street art, and there's music, and there's pianos on the street. And it is my creative home, and it always will be. Beyond the beauty of the nature, because I feel like I could talk about that for days, I think just really to be in a place where necessity isn't necessarily the driving force for creation is so unique. And there are only a couple of other places I've ever been. Spot in Israel, maybe, and maybe like Boulder, Colorado. It's just such a uniquely, like people just make things, art, music, because they want to, not because they feel like they need to. And I love that. I love that about Santa Barbara. And I don't know how that connects me to my religion, but it probably does in some way. Creativity is probably an expression of the same spirit. That's true. I hear spirituality and just the way you're speaking so passionately about your connection with Santa Barbara and that creativity that speaks. I don't know how people want to define spirituality, but that sounds like some spiritual inspiration to me. And it also reminds me of what I want to say. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you, Ali. I feel like when I stop to reflect for even any moment of time upon the creation of the natural world, I'm in so much awe of the power of God. And I feel like everything in creation is a reminder about God's power and beauty, but we don't often take the time to stop and pause and make that reflection. It can be momentarily just looking up or something at a leaf falling. If anyone's seen Soul, the new Disney movie did such a great job. But I think about that a lot. Actually, my name, Ala, means uh, a sign or a favor from God. And it comes from a verse in the Quran. Actually, verse is a bad translation because we call the verses ayat, which actually mean signs. Each verse is a sign. And so the verse that my name comes from says, which of the favors or signs of your Lord will you deny? And then it lists cosmological phenomenon. And then that verse is repeated in between. 
I'm looking out my window right now at a kind of rainy LA day, but the trees blowing in the wind and stuff, they all remind me of God. And I would say for Santa Barbara specifically, something that's always been a special place to me is Shoreline Park and Beach. We have a family tradition of actually going there to watch the full moonrise, like the Jewish tradition. Muslims use a lunar calendar. So that's also something I love is our connection to the lunar calendar means I'm very aware of the moon cycles and seasons play a big role in our practice, actually. So I love that those are connected. Our spiritual practice and the cycles of the world around us are connected. So we have a family tradition of going to Shoreline, usually for a late night picnic to watch the moon rise over the ocean, because who doesn't love the Santa Barbara beaches? But I particularly love that we watch the moon rise because in Islamic tradition, it is common to liken the prophet peace and blessings be upon him, Prophet Muhammad, to the moon, because the moon reflects the light of the sun and the prophet reflects the light of God and is our example on earth of how we should live. And so the moon always reminds me of the prophet. And then it's just really beautiful to watch that reflection over the water of the full moon. You might actually hear this from my mother on her episode of the podcast because I'm taking our family tradition from her, but I do have my own personal relationship with being a little bit obsessed with looking at the moon every night. I do it pretty regularly. Beautiful. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be in conversation with Ali and Kenny today and hear about our respective perspectives on the intersections of spirituality, politics, and justice. The conversation was also an interesting insight into the different experiences Ali and I had having grown up in Santa Barbara as part of religious minorities. Next week, we will be having a conversation with Rabbi Steve Cohen, who is the senior rabbi at Congregation B'nai Please subscribe to our podcast to hear our latest episodes each week, and feel free to share with a friend or neighbor. You can also follow our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HumanFamilyPod for updates and snippets of our upcoming episodes. Wishing you much peace, blessings, and light for the rest of your day and week.